Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. Here today with Vin Gang, uh, master magician, uh, entrepreneur, and fellow Australian. And yeah. you know, it's strange. We're here in Mexico. It's ridiculous. And I always feel uh, people who listen to this show must think I just talk to Australians. But the, <laughs> the truth is, I talk to Australians in strange places. So, <laughs> so it counts. It, it's still got that international feel. But it, listen, it's great to see you. Uh, we're both here speaking at a conference, and it was. It was actually wonderful to see you in action. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I was really scared on stage, but I'm glad you said that. <laughs> you know, it's strange. Uh, and I'd love you to tell a little bit of the story about how you ended up becoming a magician. Because yeah. uh, like myself, we share an Asian heritage. <laughs> so I can only imagine it would have been a an interesting discussion when you broke the news to your parents. It was. And, and being from a full Asian heritage as well, mum and dad, it's... You know, I was studying commerce and law at university, like you, Mike. Yes. You did that too, right? So we were both fulfilling the Asian prophecy. Well, there is. I think my mother actually said I could I could do whatever I liked with my life as long as I was a doctor, a lawyer, and a doctor. <laughs> so it's not actually giving me choices. We're, we're from the same culture. <laughs> and I, I, I actually went four and a half years into the degree and six months left. I knew my dad had already arranged for me to work with Deloitte. So my dad has a really good friend in the company and right. I knew that once I finished the degree, it's a straight ticket in. So it was now or never? Well, yes, because if I don't do it, dad loses face. So I, I said, you know what, I'm gonna quit. And come home, the discussion was one of the most painful discussions. I come home and I just said, mum and dad, you know, I love you both so much, but I'm going to quit my degree. And, oh, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, dad, dad went all Bruce Lee. Um, and it's just, you know, he got really angry and then he turned around and was the most supportive and amazing person. And I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that at all. You know, the, 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 most, the most beautiful thing he, he came up to me and said was, you know, son, I didn't, I didn't risk my life to get through the war, to, to come to Australia, to, you know, to, to, to force you to do something and be in a career that you didn't want to be, be in. I wanted you to do what you love. Because it was quite an adventure for them coming to Australia in the first place, right? Yeah, from Vietnam. 1981, March 31st was when they arrived in Australia. How did they get here? Uh, by boat. Yeah. So they literally went from uh, Vietnam, left on a boat that they had built, and ended up... I have to tell you the story with this. Yeah, tell, you have to I have to tell you the story. story. So Dad was on the boat and um, run out of fuel completely because the Viet Cong, when they catch you, they take all your fuel out and everything, they leave you for dead in the ocean. So they were left for dead. And then my grandfather sees smoke and he goes, if we follow smoke, we'll find land. So they follow smoke and then they get to the smoke and it's an oil rig in the ocean no. by the Kiwis, right? And then the Kiwi captain comes down and he's like, um, we have to break your boat. If we break your boat, then we can save you, ocean law, right? If you're not sinking, we can't save you. My family thought, <laughs> holy crap, we've met the white pirates. So they're freaking out, they're running, they're screaming. That, that captain stayed on deck with them for two and a half hours to draw out, we're helping you. And they took us to Palau Bidong uh, Island in Malaysia. And mum and dad were there for three months and then Australia took us in. Amazing. Unreal journey they've been through. So, so I could see he was a little concerned at first when you said you were gonna give up the career as an accountant to be yeah. a magi magician. Yeah, he thought I wanted to be Harry Potter. So I think, <laughs> I think he was uh, slightly pissed. <laughs> the, but you actually had a, a plan around this, right? It, yeah. it wasn't just about being a stage magician, you were going no. to set up a, a business. 
my first preference in university was actually to be a teacher. Right. But I changed it because of cultural pressures. Right. And I've always wanted to teach something I was passionate about. And it was magic. So I wanted to create an online magic school that teaches magic. I've always wanted to do this. And I thought that's exactly what I'm going to do. Hmm. You know, I, I remember working out. So actually you didn't want to be Harry Potter. You wanted to be Dumbledore. <laughs> that's precisely <laughs> correct. Yes. Maybe not at his large size, but um, yeah. But I really wanted to do it. And it was, yeah. So, so the Encyclopedia of Magic was born. Uh, yes. Tell me about the site. So basically the website is uh, teaching you all the foundations of card magic, coin magic, and mentalism, which is like a form of mind reading. Right. And I, I called it Encyclopedia of Magic because I, I haven't ever found a place where you could learn all the fundamentals in one place and where there was a spiderweb network of, to learn this, you need to know this and this. And I really wanted that. So that's what we created. It's got 300 videos plus all linked together and makes the learning experience really sequential. So can, can you actually learn magic yeah. online? Yeah, you can. Right. You absolutely can. That's what we do. But that's not how you learn magic though, is it? No. No, I actually, when I got into magic, it was only in books. And when you have to learn something, technical sleight of hand from a book, it takes three or four pages to explain one move. It's very difficult. That's why we created the business. We wanted to create something that was highly visual yeah. and that the person could pick what angle they wanted to learn from. So yeah, it's much better via video. And, and how, do, how are people using it? I mean, do, do people just do it as a fun thing or do people who are aspiring magicians? We have a massive mix. Um, there's, there's a lot of aspiring magicians, but there's also a lot of people who want to learn it for confidence, believe it or not. Um, magic is one of the best. You mean to talk to girls? Yes, and it doesn't work, <laughs> just in case those people are wondering. Um, yeah, they much rather talk to you, but, but that's, what, that's what a lot of magicians or people get into magic for, is for confidence. Because once you perform and someone goes, wow, how'd you do that? It's an injection of self-confidence. Right. You start to feel good. And yeah, I think it's, it's vital in today's world. A lot of the youth don't have much confidence. How, how long has the idea of, I guess, being a performance magician been around? I mean, is it an ancient idea or is it no. a fairly relatively new phenomenon? Ma magic before the late 1800s was seen as a evil, will we'll kill you, destroy you, because you, it's, yeah, it's the unknown, it's paranormal. Yeah. yeah, it was a kind of an occult thing. And then, yes, it was. And then there was a kind of a crossover with science for a while as well, right? Yeah, well, then when it headed into the early 1900s, that's when Harry Houdini, the reason they called him the father of magic was he switched it from being evil to entertainment. Right. But then even because he, he was actually he was actually anti-spiritualist and yeah he actually because he was fooled by it right he was fooled by it when his mother passed he was in so much mourning that he started to go to these people believing it was real and then realizing that they were just magicians and they weren't honest about their dishonesty so mm. you know that that made him angry as but that was the era where magic was half entertainment but then the other half that's when like charlatans like the fox sisters came about and fooled the world that you could talk to the dead. Right. So, you know, they live side by side. And even today, they still kind of live side by side. The world of psychics and the world of magic. So spiritualists and mentalists. Well, you know what? I, I believe they're the same thing. And um, I, I, I'm a magician, so I'm highly skeptical. I haven't seen anything, to be honest with you, Mike, in the spiritual world with the, you know, different little things that mind readers can do in that world, speak to the dead. I haven't seen anything they do that I can't explain. Right. With magic. Do you ever get surprised by other magicians? I do get surprised by the magicians, highly frustrating because we spend our lives obsessing over sleight of hand and then someone does something you don't understand, yeah, it freaks you out. You know, a lot of, a lot of 
um, you know, magic on civilians works because we don't know how to read yes. magic. Yes. But you know, when you see a magician do magic, you must you must be you must be able to read what they're doing. So, to some extent, do you think there's a kind of magic that only fools other magicians? Yes, there is. And I have to show you, like, <laughs> sleight of hand is like letters of the alphabet. Right. So when you first learn magic, you learn all the letters of the alphabet. Once you do that, what do you, you mean? Like, uh, like, so so let's say there's 26 letters in the alphabet, right? Right. When a magician begins, you have to learn every single letter, how to say it, how to pronounce it, for for example, right? Then when you get very good at each letter, you now can put together words. Oh, so you mean there are certain moves that are sleight of hand vocabulary? Yes, that's I guess I'm using it as a metaphor, yeah. So basically, you learn all the letters, then you can form words, which become bigger pieces of sleight of hand. Then right. you learn sentences, and then paragraphs, and then a whole story. So the more letters you know, the more you're able to look into how the magician is performing it. Right, so when you do a magic trick, it's a kind of a recipe of these letters. It's a recipe of all the letters, yeah. Right. And But how you fool magicians is that you reverse, you flip the letter. So you do something backwards. Yeah. And magicians just don't expect that. They're caught off guard. Because we're caught, to, we're forced to think just moving forward. We don't look at it backwards. This is very magic now, so hopefully uh, no, no, it I'm, makes I'm, sense. I'm super interested. and. Uh, you know, one of the movies that I loved was The Prestige, you know. Oh, where, Hugh where, Jackman did such a good job. Where, where they were the kind of talking about the the psychology and the, mm. uh, I guess, the, the, the theatricality of the way a trick is presented. Yeah. Um, is that actually, was that actually accurate? Like the yeah. idea of the pledge and the... Well, there is. And, and also I think that movie highlights as well is the obsession involved with magic. Mm. Because you become obsessed about secrets. And it's, it's actually a really expensive craft to become obsessed with because in the world of magic, secrets cost a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah, and some things are priceless. Some things you can't like even... Well, well, there are books in the world of magic. You mentioned this and I was, yeah. I was, I was astonished because it, it, it seemed to be too good to be true that there actually was this kind of secret world beneath the world that magicians mm. occupy. Magicians used to die if they revealed magic tricks. Like right. the, the, the groups would actually hunt you <laughs> That's how crazy it was because these, I mean, you've got to think like magic evolved out of conjuring, out of wizards and whatnot. And those and shamans wizards, and yeah, witch doctors. And they used to have epic control over like the kings and, and whatnot. So, so some of the tricks we still do today were, were used to control people, very powerful people in the past. Mm. So when we were making that transition out of the charlatan world into the entertainment, those were very heavily guarded. And there's still some tricks that today are still very heavily guarded. What are yeah. these books? I mean, uh, are they literally books of magic? Yeah. So there, there are, obviously there are, there's commercial magic where you yeah. can just go to any good magic retailer and buy. But then there are also tricks that have been passed down and there've only ever been 500 copies ever printed. Right. And, you know, it's weird because people always ask me, they go, oh, surely even when you get this, you just want to photocopy it and, and just put it online. Yeah. When you learn the pieces of magic in these books, you don't want to share them with anybody. That's how good it is. Right. So yeah, these books exist. Um, and how, when do they go into play? Like how do you acquire more? These are like trading cards. They are. <laughs> and generally, you know, it's really nice because there are, there is a big magic community. And when someone, when someone sees you, because now the world's becoming more tr transparent, when someone sees you from afar and they like what you're doing with magic and they've come to the end of their career, right. they see you're sprouting. I was given two. Huh. I was given two. So, so you've got two books. Yes. I can't say what they are. Otherwise, I'm going to have to kill you, Mike. Right. Um, <laughs> like, literally, I'm ready. But um, it's it's passed down, but you have to pay for them. 
and they're usually quite expensive. How like what's a lot of books? Like 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 a master magician who's been around for a while. How many books would he maybe have? Well, I spoke with a gentleman last night, and he he had two thousand two hundred, and it, it made me want to die inside realizing that I had two and he had two. This is like World of Warcraft, you know, where you're leveled up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've got to think of a way to, to destroy him and take all of his books. <laughs> oh my goodness. But, but, it, but it's a really secretive world and the more you get into it, the more you start to become fascinated by the, the cult-like nature of it. It's, it's yeah. really, it's, yeah. What, um, what magicians do you really respect? The one that immediately comes... Reasons? One immediately comes to mind was uh, Chang Canasta, mm. a magician from uh, the 60s and 70s, early, mid-1900s. He was a phenomenal showman. See, Mike, the, the, most technical, the most technically brilliant magician isn't the most successful. Mm. In magic, there are two components you have to have. Technical ability and showmanship. Chang Canasta had a beautiful blend of two. And, uh, What's his story? Where did he come from? Uh, Chang was, well, I want to share with you that Darren Brown is actually someone that everyone's going to know now. But Darren Brown was a magician that was heavily influenced by Chang Canasta. Right. And if anyone wants to see what Chang Canasta was like, look at Darren Brown. He's a UK magician. And he also did law. So weird. But he, he, he has that showmanship factor. You know, and I think mm, he's just amazing from the US. He was uh, primarily in the US. Showmanship, something that's quite rare today in today's world. What do you, I mean, because we were speaking about this before about um, the idea of business being a performance. And, uh, you know, you sometimes see these leaders who are incredible uh, performers in terms of the way they speak and the way that they lead people. Yeah. Uh, Do you think to some extent that business icons also need to be showmen? I I think so too. I mean, like, I guess showmanship is just a fancy word for communication skills. Right. You know, Mike, we both speak at so many conferences. What we start to see is, well, what I've started to, to be able, I guess it's a common thread that I see. The, the most technically brilliant people are always hating on the, the showmen of the business who are doing really well, making a lot of money, but they're not technically brilliant. Mm. Those guys are just great showmen. But the thing is, if you think about it, if the technical people start to gain stronger showmanship and build their showmanship, those guys can change the world. Because when they get into the positions of power, they have the technical ability now to make real change. Because a lot of magicians actually are quite technical people. We are. You're like engineers and quite introverted, actually. We are. Yeah, we are. And and if we don't improve our showmanship, the world never sees us. Showmanship is the bridge that allows you to deliver value to your customer, your audience, the people you're serving. Why? Because without great showmanship, people don't experience magic as it's intended. Right. If I sat here and just did a whole bunch of sleight of hand, said nothing, that's not magic. That's not magic. Uh, magic is being able to use your ability to communicate, to create an experience that goes beyond what you see there with your eyes. Hmm. So you need good showmanship. You know, uh, I've actually uh, had another magician on this show, uh, uh, Marco Tempest. I know, super jealous of that. <laughs> so cool you got to meet him. But, but one of the things that really stu- stuck with me from that conversation was that he said at its essence, magic is just storytelling. Yeah. And, and the kind of the yeah. magic itself is just a small part of that overall world you're, you're creating for someone to occupy. It is. It is, it is literally glorified storytelling. And another magician, um, Teller from Penn & Teller, yeah. has another great line as well. And he says that magic is someone spending more time on something than anybody would reasonably expect. That's all that it is. In, in terms of practicing something? Yeah. 
Well, in, in, in terms of being able to get that astonishment factor, mm. you know, people talk about a lot of, a lot of, you know, how do we achieve great service and how do we, how do we amaze people and astonish people with what we do? Spend more time on that. Spend more time on your craft than anybody would reasonably expect you to. This, this reminds yeah. me a little bit about that theory that to be an expert, you have to spend ten thousand hours. On yeah, something. and and mm. I, you know, it's it's so weird in this age of Instagram celebrities that people sort of don't want to work for things in the way that real experts have had to master. Yeah. There's such a great satisfaction that comes from that though, Mike. Yeah. You know, I... How, I what, what, give me an example of a, of a trick that you've had to work a oh, crazy sure. amount of time on. Well, sleight of hand. So there's a great uh, piece of sleight of hand, uh, a trick called Stand Up Monty. And to perfect that, easily two, three hundred hours of time sitting there perfecting it. And... You know, there's no greater joy that comes to you once you perfect it. What is the stand-up Monty? I'll have to perform it for you later. I'm so sorry about to these audio people who are listening on this. No, no, but, see but what were you practicing? Was it hand movements? Yeah, or? it is. It is. It's being right. able to distract. Right. Being able to, it, it's, it's not just the sleight of hand. It's what you say because what you say controls where people look. Where you point controls where they look. So it's, it's just this beautiful combination of showmanship, sleight of hand, body movement, direction of attention. And if you don't do it right, they see how it's done. Hmm. So it's, oh, to me, it's beautiful. It's one of the most exhilarating feelings, spending that much time on something and then being able to execute it. And the beautiful thing about spending two, 300 hours on it is that now you know that 90% of the population will not go through those two and 300 hours to do that. Right. So you now truly have something unique and a competitive advantage. So I don't shy away. When I see it takes 500 hours, good, I'll do it. Because that's the barrier of entry. Yeah. <coughs> and there's, I mean, mis misdirection is sort of at the core of so much magic. But yeah. But do you think that's another aspect, you know, to business as well, besides showmanship? Well, I think the world of business can misdirect us when we're inside of it. Hmm. Because... What I'm saying, do you, do you think like advertising at, at its heart is, <coughs> is an exercise in misdirection? Some advertising app absolutely is. Yeah. Well, now with the internet, I see it all the time. Mm. It's, it's easier for us to be misled. Like you said, the Instagram people, like they might be renting that apartment. They don't own it, but they rent it and it creates an illusion. We believe that's their lifestyle, but it's yeah. not their lifestyle. So with the internet now in Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it allows people to create these facades. So uh, misdirection is, uh, I think, a part of our society now more than ever. I, I'm fascinated by this because, um, I mean, you sometimes see these like chess geniuses, you know, like Gary Kasparov, who then go into politics and other areas, but they're using their mm -hmm. understanding the dynamics of chess to read the world. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking like if you're a master magician and you understand misdirection, misdirection and showmanship and uh, discipline, you know, what aspect, what do you see in the world that non-magicians don't see? Ah, okay. Definitely the performance factor. Right. The performance factor, the understanding how deep someone, how much depth they have in their technical ability is something we can recognize very quickly. In right? any field? In most fields you can. In most fields you can. And also, especially if, it, if it's to do with like music, something labor, laborsome, you know, you can immediately tell. Um, definitely in the area of showmanship too, communication skills. We pick up on people's ability to communicate very quickly. You know, how well does that, that person communicate? Did he actually express everything he said or is there more? Because there's clearly more. You become more, your, your sensory acuity, it's heightened. Hmm. And you're so aware of your surroundings. When someone's skeptical of you, you feel it straight away. You feel it straight away. Because as a magician, when you're performing and there's 50 people around you, when there's a skeptic, you have to be able to sense it. 
So all your senses are quite heightened. And what's the response to a skeptic? Do you engage them or do you do isolate them? <laughs> you turn your backs towards them and you move the, because there's a philosophy, I guess. Don't try to convince someone who doesn't believe in magic that magic is real. Right. Because 99% of the world does believe it's real. And if you try to waste all your energy on that person, you're wasting your time. Right. So you identify where they are and you just kind of block them out because they ruin the experience for everybody else. You know, so yeah, it's yeah, it's got its advantages. It's got its dis, it's got its um, you know, there are disadvantages as well. There's so many. There's a big part of magic that's related to technology and, and the use mm. of tools and technology is. Yes. It's kind of the pr- part of the the way of crafting grand illusions. There's there's some amazing technologies now coming. You know, augmented reality, virtual reality. Yeah. What what do you think potential there is for creating more interesting 21st century magic? Well, that's what Marco Tempest does. Yeah. And and I'm I'm so interested in that space for him particularly because. The stuff I've seen him do just blows my mind. I've never ventured into that area. Yeah. I, I, I read the books that were, were written from the early 1900s to learn the, the classical ways of doing magic because that's what fools magicians now. You know, people don't look to the history of magic. Oh, right. So you're saying like the retro magic is... Is what's fooling people now. Huh. Because it's, it's almost so simple that you don't see it. Because this is part of... The, I mean, I find as a futurist, part of the problems with technology now is that science fiction writers really don't have a job anymore because mm. the future can't surprise us because it feels like we're living in it now. Yeah. So maybe what you're saying is correct that we almost have to go back to the older ways of seeing the world in order to be surprised. I think so. And that, I think that's the heart of innovation with magic particularly is composition, mm. is going back and connecting the old things together and creating something new out of that. So, I mean, that's... I, I just, in the world of magic, I don't feel like anything new is ever truly created because we're always going back to what the, the grandfathers in the world of magic did. And we're connecting that and connecting with what other people did back in the early 1900s. And that's what creates new magic today. What, what, did, the, what did the magicians of the 1900s do that, that, that's not being done today? Oh, you know, one thing that has changed the world of magic is that back then you don't get to learn from videos. So when you get the book, you translate, you interpret that in your own unique way. So then you have your own unique persona. What's very dangerous, which I, you know, even I fall victim to is you watch a video of a magician, you learn from the video, then you emulate them too much. You're almost becoming that magician. Right. Whereas what was beautiful about in the early 1900s is that you didn't have the opportunity to do that. All you do is you, here's how the trick is done. Here's the mechanics, here are the pictures and add you to that. And that's what I admire about the way they used to do things. and. How now we just take the easy way out. We'll just watch a video and we'll do it exactly as that guy did it. So there's that battle for magicians, I think, in the modern day. Hmm. It's how to be ourselves and more unique. Hmm. Yeah. A, a big part of what you do now is, is use magic as a metaphor yeah. you know, for other business lessons. Well, what are some of the crossovers you see between you know, magic and, and I guess some of the key ideas that you talk about? You know, one of the biggest things I think people are intrigued by magicians is how do you create the impossible? Now, how do you create something that seems so bloody difficult? And I think it comes down to something very simple. In the world of magic, your, your beliefs dictate your actions in life, right? So if a magician believes something cannot be done, he won't even try. Hmm. So the first step for a magician is you genuinely have to believe with your heart and soul, with conviction, and a lot of enthusiasm as well, that it can be done. So once you believe that, you then go on the journey to create something impossible. I think that's the same challenges that businesses face now with innovation. Hmm. They think to themselves, my goodness, how could we innovate something that hasn't been changed in years? Well, you, in your heart, you have to believe it's possible first. That's always the first step. 
And I think they're missing the first step and they're trying to rush to step 10. But you first have to make sure you have the right culture, the right people that can cultivate that belief. How have you seen that people have made that breakthrough of belief? Because yeah. I mean, yeah. part, part sure. of the art of a magic trick is that you kind of shock people to show that the world that they think exists doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, a big part of that belief is the people. Yeah. It's always the people. You know, it's like me. I, I would have never built that online business if the people in my life, my mum and dad, didn't push me and egg me on. If at every single difficulty, at every point of diff- like difficulty that I reached, if my dad kept saying, oh, son, I don't think you should do that anymore. That's really risky. I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. If every time a company is trying to innovate and move forward, you know, the people in the team are just scaring them, giving them negative feedback nonstop, you never get to venture into new territory. You know, so I think it's, it's, it's about the people you have. And if you're not careful, yeah, you'll never innovate, you'll never move forward. And, and, and what else do you, do you observe? You know, well, well, something I find really interesting as well is perspective, mm. right? As a magician, we're able to fool you because we force you into a silent mentality. We force you to see the world only from your own eyes, right? And not from our eyes, because from your perspective, you see something impossible. From our perspective, we see clever methodology. We see literally how we're doing this and we're sitting there thinking, how the hell can't you see it right now? Mm. So we force you into this silent mentality and you can't see how it's done, right? So what I find really intriguing is, what if I could share with you my perspective on how this is being done? Because there's nothing that misdirects our attention more than a problem. Mm. And a problem is what magic is. Magic is just a problem you can't solve. So when I show you a problem, you immediately focus all your attention on the problem. I could be doing anything with my other hand. <laughs> I could be doing anything. I could have an assistant help me. You don't see it. Right. Because humans are so attracted to problems. So magicians, all we do is we create a problem. And now we are free to do whatever we want with our other hand. So what I want to share with people is... Don't be so focused on problems when they happen because the solution isn't where you're looking. Always follow the other hand, as you, a magician would say. This is great. So, I mean, you could actually use this as a competitive strategy. I mean, if you have a competitor, you could distract them with a problem while you, you can go can. do something else. You absolutely can. You absolutely can. And that, that's how magicians do it. Right. That's how magicians do it. But I, I, I want to share with people that in psychology, they actually call this change blindness and how you always have to look at it from a different, a fresh perspective. Hmm. And it's again how industries, if you want to do something different and move forward, don't just collaborate with people in your own industry. If I just collaborated with magicians, I would have never built the online business. If I just collaborated with magicians, I would have never become a speaker. Hmm. When you collaborate with someone who has a truly different perspective, they can see how the trick is done. They can help you solve your problems. They also can help you identify other opportunities. Because they're the other hand. They are the other hand. They are literally the other hand. That's exactly right. Hmm. Whereas I find a lot of conferences we go to, we just collaborate with people from our own industry. So what happens? We always just move towards industry norms. Hmm. Nothing new is ever truly created. It's the collision of two completely different industries. That's where it happens. But I think that's what you're doing. That's really great. You're colliding so many different worlds together with these podcasts. And from that, I think people are going to be able to get a spark. And you know, hopefully that spark leads on to a big fire. When you uh, look at business leaders or people that are, uh, I guess, responsible for coming up with new ideas or innovation yeah. through the eyes of a, a magician, yeah. who do you think you've noticed seems to have a natural ability to use some of these elements of, of storytelling and stagecraft and mm. presence Besides Steve Jobs, you're not allowed yeah, to say Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. No, but, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah. people who sort of naturally, unconsciously have taken elements of the magical process and applied it to the way that they lead. Well, 
there's there's two great people that come to mind immediately. One is Casey Casey Neistat, mm. a great a YouTube guy who is storytelling his life, and he's able to, I mean, in a short time of twelve months, millions of people globally are now following his everyday videos. He is gets, his life that interesting? Well, it's it's just that he's because he's a videographer, he understands storytelling, and every day he creates a video that tells a story. Mm. It's just one little story from his life. And he tells that story so incredibly well that he posts the video up in an hour. It's already got millions of views. Hmm. Every day, Mike, it's insane. So to me, that's someone using storytelling to his own advantage. And he created a company called Beam, and it's doing very well because he has the following. Yeah. So you're actually saying he is a magician in, in a way. It, well, I, I think he is being able to create the videos he he creates and doing them daily. He's a magician. Another one that I'm sure a lot of people are aware of, maybe even you, Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm. I think he's very aware of how powerful storytelling is. By him always sharing his story, um, you know, in all the videos that he does again and just being able to distribute them. To me, that's magic. The, the magicians of today's world are, are those that understand the power of storytelling and understanding how to build a massive audience with it. Vin, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, the Thank minute, you, of course, we stop, I'm going to get you to show me all your tricks. And yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's wonderful to see you on the road and, and hey, on the stage. You. So thank you for being on the show. So awesome being able to join you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.